want to welcome each one of you here uh, today. Well, someone once said that when God's children ask him for something, that he always responds to that prayer in one of four different ways. And I've got them on the screen behind me this morning. He either answers to that prayer, no, not yet, later, not yet. No, I love you too much, right? You don't realize what you're praying for. It wouldn't be good for you. He might answer, yes, I never thought you would ask, finally. Or he might say, yes, and here's even more than you asked me for. Well, the book of Luke opens with an answer to prayer, and it's a no, not yet answer that years later becomes a yes, and here is so much more. And we're going to take a look at this prayer this morning and how God answers it. Uh, Luke begins his account of the life of Christ with a description of the events that were surrounding the birth of Christ in chapters 1 and 2. And this is where we're going to be spending the next five weeks together. Between now and Christmas Day, we're going to walk through this section of the book of Luke together and read it and consider it and apply it with the hope that what that will do is help us to make room in our hearts and our minds and our lives for the one uh, who, ironically, it's so easy to have be pushed out during this, this busy season of the year. And so chapter 1, as Tom read this morning, it begins with an introduction of two elderly people, a man whose name is Zechariah, who has a wife whose name is Elizabeth. And so this morning, what I want to do is just kind of walk through their story. That'll be the first half. And then I want to try to apply it in a particular way this morning. Now, Elizabeth is uh, the cousin of a woman that we're going to meet next week. Her name is Mary. You may have heard of her. She's a pretty famous figure. And Zechariah is a priest who was serving at the temple in Jerusalem at the time. Now, just like any job that a person might have, there were activities that the priests would take a part in as uh, their responsibility of their job that were sometimes preferred over other responsibilities that they would have. And one of the greatest honors of being a priest would be to be the one who was chosen to offer incense, which was meant to represent the prayers of the people in the holy place in the temple. And there were so many priests that if, if a priest was chosen, it would probably be a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. I mean, it would be the very uh, top of their career as a priest and would never happen again. It was a really big deal. And, And so we're told here that Zechariah was picked, and we realized soon enough that this was no accident because God had a particular message that he wanted to give to Zechariah. Now, to put this message in its context, you've got to back up in the story a little bit and recognize that there's something else that we learn straight off in the story about Zechariah and Elizabeth, and that is that they are suffering. And in fact, they've been suffering for many years. Uh, Elizabeth, we're told, is unable to have a child, and this is a terrible sorrow for her. 
Uh, in that day, things were a little bit different than they are today in that there was a huge emphasis that was put on childbearing. And it was thought at the time that a person who could not have a child must be being punished by God from some sin that they had committed at some point in life. And so we know uh, from the very end of this passage that Tom read, us, read to us this morning that Elizabeth was, was treated with reproach by the people. People disapproved of her. They assumed that there was something wrong of a spiritual nature and that God was judging her by her barrenness. And so she lived her life with kind of a, a, um, a, a, a humiliation that hung over her from, from uh, the people who were around her. Now, Fortunately, this story tells us something about Elizabeth that's very helpful. It tells us that she was not being punished by God. If you look at verse 6, it tells us very clearly that they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean that they were perfect people in every way, but it does mean that they were doing their best to live righteous lives before God. And we know that the fact that Elizabeth could not conceive a child was not a mark against her. Now, I've heard many times a person who is suffering with with, uh, something ask the question out loud that I'm sure they've asked many times to themselves internally, what have I done wrong? Why is God doing this to me? Why is he causing this? What is he trying to tell me? What is the wrong that I've committed that he's paying me back for? And while it is possible, I mean, the, the Bible gives, uh, the, opens the possibility that a, a suffering could be brought into a person's life as a form of discipline for a believer or as a form of judgment for an unbeliever, this should not be automatically assumed. Sometimes our suffering is allowed by God because he is using it to work out some unknown plan that only he is aware of. And as we're going to see, this was the case in the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Their suffering had a purpose. I think one of the helpful um, applications to this story is something that we need to be reminded of again and again, and that is that suffering should never be seen as an abnormality in the child of God. Uh, Here, what you have is you've got two very good people whose lives, in a very serious way, were very disappointing to them, whose prayers had not seemed to be answered, and who lived almost their entire lives with unmet expectations and longings and something that worked itself out in their life as as a very deep pain. And I think that the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth ought to remind us that we should have a healthy and a realistic and a biblical viewpoint on suffering. Because that way, when we face it, we're not quite so destroyed by it. But instead, we're able to endure it with hope and with confidence, and with what Elizabeth and Zechariah endured theirs with, which was godliness. And one of the reasons that we know that they endured their suffering with godliness was because we see in this passage their prayerfulness. 
prayerfulness and godliness go hand in hand. And so the prayerfulness of a godly person's life supports their godliness, and the godliness of a prayerful person's life supports their prayerfulness. Those, those two things help us to endure suffering. And as Elizabeth and Zechariah suffered, we learn from this passage that they were committed to both of those things. They were committed to living righteous lives and committing prayerful lives. And and apparently what we find is that God saw this, that God was paying attention. So now you fast forward a little bit and Zechariah is all alone by himself in the holy place and something that he absolutely does not expect happens. And that is he sees an angel, uh, the angel Gabriel. And this uh, by itself is exciting enough for Zechariah Anytime that a person sees an angel in the scriptures, they're always terrified of an angel. Apparently, the, the appearance of an angel is, is just staggering and terrifying. They're so wonderful and powerful and great. But, but I think what we see here is that Zechariah is just as surprised by the angel's announcement as he is by the angel's appearance. The angel tells Zechariah that he's going to have a son in his old age and that he is to name his son John. Now, this would be uh, a man who will be later known as John the Baptist. John would grow up to be a very important key person and a popular figure at that uh, time period. And John's role, as we're told here and then as we later see played out, would be to be an announcer of the fact that the Messiah is coming. He was going to prepare the way for Jesus. And uh, John is a very unconventional person. I mean, he's a little bit strange. If you read his life, he eats locusts and honey, and he wears camel skins, and, and he's, he's really a lot like one of the Old Testament prophets. And in fact, he's compared to the prophet Elijah here in this passage, who we studied this last summer. Uh, John is a real straight talker. He's an incredibly gifted preacher. Uh, People came from all over the place to hear him. And what he primarily did is he called on people to repent, to go a different direction. And many, many people responded to him. And and they, in turn, responded to Jesus as a, a part of John's preparatory work. And so John uh, tells uh, through, or excuse me, the angel tells Zechariah a few of the details uh, about his unborn son. And it's really amazing to think that he would kind of get a preview of his own son's life before he had even been conceived. But that's what the angel does. And he gives him good news after good news. The the first thing he says, I think we'll start in verse 14, he says that he'll be a joy and a delight to John and Elizabeth and to a lot of people too. Uh, Well, wouldn't this be great news if you got this news about your unborn child that this kid is going to be a delight to you and they will be a delight to so many other people. That's kind of what I want to hear the angel say first, right? Well, then the angel goes on to say even better news. He says he's going to be great before God too. I mean, it's, it's one thing, it's wonderful to be a person who's, who's great before other people, but it's an, an, another thing entirely to be great before God. I mean, wouldn't you either, even rather hear that about your child, that God is going to think that this person is great? 
In fact, Jesus even said later of John the Baptist that no one greater had been born than John the Baptist. Wow, what a thing to celebrate. The angel tells him, I believe in verse 15, he says, don't give John any wine, okay? And, and there was a, a particular reason for this. This uh, pointed to something that was relatively somewhat at least common in the Old Testament called a Nazarite vow. And sometimes a person uh, who was a man or a woman would commit themselves to take on the vow of what was called a Nazarite as a unique way of dedicating themselves to God for a particular purpose and for a particular season of their life. And during that time, they would abstain completely from alcohol as one of the signs that they had committed to this vow. And so the angel was saying that, that John was going to be dedicated to God with a unique purpose in his life. God had a real special plan for him. Next, the angel says that John will be filled by the Spirit of God at birth. And so that points to the fact that John the Baptist was going to be uniquely empowered by God right from the get-go with his own spirit. And so he was going to have a certain power in his ministry that was from uh, the Lord directly. And then he says just a number of things that I wish we had time to sort of slow down and look at. But he, he says he will turn the children of Israel back to God. The, the angel says he's going to have a kind of a power that's similar to the power and, and the voice that Elijah, the prophet, had. He's going to turn fathers' hearts back to their children. Oh, what a wonderful and, and needed thing that is even today. And he's going to turn disobedient people to wisdom. So what you can think of when you think of John the Baptist is somebody who's almost going to be like a spiritual rototiller, okay? He's going to go out into the world, the hard soil of people's hearts, and he's going to stir them up so that when Christ comes, the seeds can be planted onto good soil. And that's why the angel says God is going to make ready for the Lord a people who are prepared. So John had a wonderful, exciting, very important ministry. Now, back to Zechariah. When he heard these words from these, this angel, he must have been absolutely shocked, right? I mean, it would have been surprising enough to have heard, you're going to have a son, right? Because he's maybe 80 years old or something like that at the time. But to hear who exactly it is that your son would be must have been incredible. And I love Zechariah's response to this. He inserts his foot right into his mouth, right? He, he says, it says, And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And you got to think to yourself, What do you mean, how should I know this? You are standing in the holy place, and the angel Gabriel has just appeared before you to announce this. What more do you need, buddy? You know? I mean, how much clearer can you get? How many of us would long, long, long for an angel to come down from heaven and tell us something about the future? And I think here, once again, you see something that you see really all throughout uh, the, the Bible. And that is that the Bible is filled with just plain old normal people. And they sometimes say dumb things, just like we sometimes say 
dumb things. And I think maybe Zechariah was just nervous and he wasn't really sure what to say. And it's kind of an awkward situation or something. And so he says that. And what Gabriel does is he calls him out on it. And he makes it so that he will be mute as a sign until these things that the angel has declared from God come to pass. And I think a good way to look at this is that this was kind of a gentle rebuke on Zechariah from this angel, right? It wasn't, it wasn't real hard. He wasn't coming on real hard on him, but he just, he just uh, answered his question with this uh, gentle sign. And so we're told that Zechariah at that point goes home. I'm sure he's celebrating with Elizabeth and he's trying to, you know, do charades with her to describe exactly what had happened with the angel. And this leads to, I guess, what you could call a romantic moment. And uh, then sometime later, Elizabeth wakes up one morning and she's not feeling very well. She's got morning sickness, and this elderly woman, you know, goes to purchase a pregnancy test at the drugstore, which must have been really awkward between her and the pharmacist, and, and uh, she finds out that, sure enough, she's having a baby. And these two realize that the thing that they dreamed of, that the thing that they never thought that they would see, that the thing that they had prayed for for years and years and years was actually coming to pass. Well, Elizabeth um, does something that I think is kind of ironic in the story. She decides to conceal herself in a kind of quiet celebration for five months, we're told. And the twist of the story is that for so long, almost all of her life, she was embarrassed because she was not able to have a child. And now she has this child, but she's still embarrassed because now she's, she's an elderly woman who's having a child in a way that no one would ever expect. And if you think that this caused rumors over here, what on earth was this going to cause over here? And then the scene kind of fades and the story moves on to another man and another woman who are also going to be having a miraculous baby. And then two weeks from now, we'll pick the story back up with Zechariah and Elizabeth. The story of Christmas is a wonderful story. And the people who played their parts in it are real people with real problems. And I think that's one of the things that's so wonderful about Christmas. Well, what does this story teach us? And how should we apply it, think about it? What do we learn from it? As always, there's many different things, um, but I'll pick one here this morning. And the topic that I want to think a bit about is the topic of suffering. Because this news that this angel gave to uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth was news for suffering people. It was something that brought hope to their suffering. You know, one of the greatest parts uh, over the years about being an elder here at the church, and I know that I speak for all the other elders as well, is that sometimes we get to pray together with people who are suffering. Uh, Sometimes a person will call us who has an illness or they've got some sort of a serious problem with their family or something like that, or maybe a temptation that they're struggling with that's really wearing on them. 
And what we'll do is, is often we'll either have them come to one of our meetings or sometimes what we'll do is we'll go to them. Uh, sometimes, if it's okay with that person, we'll invite our, our wives to come along as well. And what we do is we just gather around that person and, and spend some time praying for them. We uh, had an opportunity to do something like that recently with a person who is uh, struggling with a health, health issue. And their illness was not something that is fatal, but it is very serious, and it's been ongoing for a long time, and it's really affected this couple's uh, quality of life. And so we had an opportunity to visit their community group, and uh, what we did is, is the elders and their wives who could come gathered around this person in a circle, and as did the members of that community group. And basically, we spent about half an hour just pleading with God to relieve this person of their terrible illness, one after another. Please, God, please help them, strengthen them. And we were not the first people to do this. Um, they had been praying about this for years, and their family had been praying about this for years. And the people who were in their community group knew about this and had been praying with them for years. And these prayers, if you had if you had been there, these were wholehearted, sincere, uh, tearful prayers that people are just begging God, please relieve this person of this situation. And over the years, I've seen God answer these kinds of prayers before. I mean, that's why it's one of the privileges to be an elder, because I've actually been able to see God do some amazing things and respond incredibly. But I've also seen some times where it didn't seem like God was doing anything at all. And I don't really know yet what this one that we prayed for recently, I don't know what will come out of it, but I know that it's easy to struggle with those things. And I do. Sometimes I, I've known people who are like Zechariah and Elizabeth. They're good people. They're people who are trying to live godly lives. They're trying to live righteously and prayerfully before God. But they are suffering in terrible pain that I would never want to take on myself. And I can't figure out why it is. Because I know that God has power to relieve them of whatever it is that they're suffering from. And sometimes I leave a scenario like this one, and I think, God, why wouldn't you do it? Why wouldn't you want that as much as I do? It's such a good request, and it's hard for me to even wrap my mind around what it is that you're thinking. Do you hear the things that these people are praying? And I'm so glad that God instructed this angel in this passage to say what he did to Zechariah because I think it it just encourages us with something that ought to bring us a lot of comfort and hope. And what he says is, he says, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayers have been heard. Your prayers have been heard. Zechariah, you may have thought, all of that time that I I was just being silent. He he says, but I was listening all along. I heard your prayers. I want you to think about just how incredible this is for for just a couple of minutes. And and, and think about this. Zechariah and Elizabeth were an old man and an old woman were told that they were advanced in years. So let's just say that, that, that this is their life right here, okay? And this is when they were born. 
And this is where they are in this story. And let's say this represents 80 years, okay? Let's say they're 80 years old as Zechariah sees this angel in the temple. Now, um, people, when they got married, they married young, first of all. And in that culture, they would have children right away. And so let's say that Zechariah and Elizabeth got married when they were 16. That'd be pretty common, maybe even earlier. And that by the time they were 20 years old, they realized that they weren't not able to conceive a child. And so let's imagine, and I I can't imagine it would be anything otherwise, that at 20 years old, they began to pray that God would give them a child. And they prayed for this child faithfully until, I would imagine, probably about age 50. The average age of menopause for a woman is about 50 years old. And I'd imagine that when Elizabeth got to that point at 50, she probably stopped praying for a child, just assuming that God's answer to that prayer was no, right? For some reason, it was no. Now, think about what this tells us. What this means is that Zechariah and Elizabeth had been pleading for a child from about age 20 to about age 50, okay? That's like 30 years of praying for God to relieve a pain and give them something good. But maybe even more significantly, what that means is that Zechariah and Elizabeth had not been praying for a child from about, let's say, age 50 until age 80. So that's another 30 years when they had stopped praying. And I think that what this means is something that is incredibly reassuring. And that is that the Lord remembered their prayers 30 years after they stopped praying them, right? They had stopped praying those prayers long ago. And yet the angel comes and he says, the Lord has heard your prayers, and he's responding to them now. What a temptation it is for us to think that just because God doesn't always appear to answer our most heartfelt and sincere and tearful prayers, that he hasn't seen and heard and made some kind of a fatherly decision about it. How easy is it for us to assume that God must not be interested in our cares or that we're being judged by him? And how easy it is when we go through these seasons of life to doubt, to become disillusioned with our faith, to wonder if God is who he says he is, and even to become angry with him and to turn our backs And yet, just in hearing these words, God has answered your prayers. Excuse me, God has heard your prayers. Just knowing the fact that God has heard should bring us such hope. How would it change your life if you really believed sincerely with all of your heart that when you prayed to God, he was really listening, that you had his full attention, How would it change you if you were convinced that through prayer you were invited into an audience with the one who made the stars in the heavens and the seas on the earth? What would it do for you if you really knew that he was listening? The Bible tells us he is. Isn't that incredible? God hears our prayers. And God answers Zechariah and Elizabeth's prayers here 
Finally, all this time later. But he does it in such a way that it's like one of those fourth category prayers, right? He, he answers their prayer, but he gives them so much more than they could have even asked for. They have this child finally in their own age. But it's not just any child. It is a child who would play a central role in the coming of, a Messiah, of the Messiah. And what greater honor could you have than that? especially for somebody who's a priest. I mean, what greater gift could God give this couple? And the reason that God's response to their prayer was delayed for 50 years or so was that he had an even better plan for them all along. I mean, those prayers got answered a long time ago. It just wasn't until 50 years later that they figured out what that answer was. Well, sometimes God asks us to wait for our answers too. God may, be ask, ask, um, God may be telling you that right now, that God is simply asking you to wait. And, and some things in life are only understood when we can see them from hindsight, right? I mean, suffering is often like that. Suffering can be like looking into a one-way mirror where if you try to stare at it too long and figure it out as you're suffering, the only thing that you see is just your sad face being reflected back at you. But oftentimes with a little bit of time and maturity and as perspective changes in life, what we're able to do is then look back through the mirror on the other side and things that didn't make sense to us at one time, we can see a little bit more clearly. And sometimes we can even say to ourselves, well, I didn't ever, wouldn't have ever guessed it at the time, but now I do see that there was a good purpose that was involved in that. And I might even, if I could go back and, and change something, I, I wouldn't because now I see the fruit that it has produced here at this place I'm at in life. Sometimes that happens with suffering. But it's also my experience in life that sometimes that does not happen with suffering. I mean, there's no guarantees that a person will eventually get to a point in their life where they can look back and understand all of the reasons why they went through what they did and suffered the things that they face. And so how do we make sense of that? How do we make sense of suffering that we look back on and say, if I had a time machine, I would change that every time. And even as I think back on those things, it it still hurts. It's still not easy. I still don't feel like God answered any of those prayers. There seems to be no silver lining in any of this. And I think the conclusion that the Bible makes in those situations is that in those cases, we just don't have enough hindsight yet. In those cases, we don't have enough perspective yet, strange as it sounds, the Bible would tell us that, that, that we don't uh, have the conclusion yet, that God is still at work in our lives. He's still at work in history, and he hasn't brought all things to an end yet. We're in a season still, as, as Brandon mentioned this morning, of waiting, of waiting. We have promises that we haven't seen fulfilled yet. But I personally take a lot of hope from a promise that we find in Romans chapter 8 that tells us that for those who love God, all things work for good. For those who are called according to his purposes. And what that means is that somehow, in some way, that just like Zechariah and Elizabeth could never fathom, we cannot either, that every loose end in life will eventually be tied up. 
that finally one day things will make sense. I think that the story of of Zechariah and Elizabeth should really hit home for God's children. And I don't just mean us who are sitting here today. I mean all people who have ever trusted and walked with God in history and all of those who ever will. Each and every person who has ever lived has suffered as as Zechariah and Elizabeth did. And and many of us, most of us, in, in one way or another, are suffering even right now. You cannot live in a fallen world of sin and death where those things exist and not be touched by it. And you cannot be a sinner without experiencing the poisonous consequences in life from your sin. But God is aware of this. God has seen this. And God has heard the prayers of his people begging him for relief. And in this story, God is setting into motion a resolution, not just for the suffering of Zechariah and Elizabeth, but but this story, he, he puts into motion the resolution of suffering for all of us. I mean, this is a story that we all get invited to play a part on because God was not just sending a son to Zechariah and Elizabeth. But what we're going to learn soon enough is that he's going to send a son for all of us too. That's what Christmas announces. That's what John the Baptist would announce. And as attentive as God was to the prayers of Zechariah and Elizabeth in sending them John, the Bible would teach how much more so has he been attentive to our prayers by sending us Jesus? And so, if you have ever prayed for relief from God for something, if you have ever asked God for help in a situation that you you didn't feel like you could endure, or if you've ever asked him to comfort you or to meet some unmet longing that you've had in life, or to solve a problem or an issue, if you've ever prayed a prayer like that to God, the great news is that God has already answered your prayer. God answered that prayer a long time ago. God's answer is what Christmas announces. It is the answer of his son. God sent his son to die as a remedy for sin and suffering and death. And he sent his son so that he could rise again and defeat and destroy those things forever. God sent his son as an invitation to each and every one to the hope and the possibility of eternal life. You see, God did not just send his son to make our life better or to make our situation smoother or to repeal from us whatever suffering or painfulness we're experiencing on earth. God sent his son to do so much more. It's that fourth category of prayer again. He sent his his son to make a way for us back to God and to make a home for us in his heavenly kingdom where one day we will experience all things being as they should be, right and good and perfect. And for those people who, like that person that our elders prayed for recently, who are suffering, 
we just have to admit that we don't know what God's plan is. We don't know what he has in mind. Those things are his and his alone sometimes. But we do know something. And we have a hope that is grounded in the truth that one day, because of Christ, this person who has trusted him will be made brand new again. Everything that's broken in their life will be fixed. I love this quote by a theologian. His name is Don Carson, and he said this. He says, I'm not suffering from anything that a good resurrection can't fix. (laughs) That is so true. And that's what the Bible tells us. That there is nothing wrong with your life, believers, that Jesus will not someday fix. And that's the promise that Jesus gives to us. It's not, it's not just a better life in this life. It is the hope and the promise of a new life. And the story of Christmas, the story of Jesus sending his only, God sending his only son for us, Jesus, is what makes all of that possible. Christmas, I think, reminds us that even when God seems silent, that he is certainly listening. And it reminds us that Jesus is certainly the answer to our prayers. So let's pray now. Father, I just again want to thank you for this wonderful couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth, and for the things that they teach us. Thank you for answering their prayer. Thank you for listening all of those years to the cries of their hearts, and thank you for responding. Uh, Sometimes we might read a story like that and be a little bit jealous because their deepest longings and needs you met. And yet what we're told in Scripture is, is you have answered our prayer so much more so by sending us your Son. We pray that this Christmas, in spite of all of the busyness and in spite of everything that might distract us from that, that you would remind us that, that you sending your son truly is the answer to every one of our problems and the response to every one of our questions. We thank you that he came not just to teach us, but that he came to die for us so that we could be repaired in our relationship to you. And I pray that as we work our way through this, this series and we think about Jesus' incarnation and the fact that he came for us to do something we cannot do. I pray that each of us would be stirred to awe and gratitude in the things that you have done. And it's such a privilege to be able to see that start, even, even in this story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Help us to trust you even as we suffer. Help us to have faith even when we have questions. And help us to know that you are listening even when you seem silent. We pray in Jesus' name.